<coughs> well, a lot of debate on my part about what I would look at tonight. I ended up uh, taking a look at some things from the book of Judges. You know, the book of Judges is, truly it's a book of failure, a continual, repetitive departure from God by the nation. And what a contrast to Joshua. You know, in the book of Judges, we see Israel turning away from God just as God himself or Moses or Joshua asked them not to. So we're going to spend a lot of a period of time, at least in the book of Judges tonight, so you can turn there. Well, actually, the first verse I want us to look at is in the end of Joshua. It's Joshua 24. Now we're going to read uh, the first 16 verses. <coughs> I should have brought some water up here. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to sheep and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges, for all the officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood. (coughs) In the old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau, Mount Seir, to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord and put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. You dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwell on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose. Oh, look at that. Uh, And warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you. He blessed you still. Still... I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over Jordan and came into Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gerasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, 
and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out of before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. I have given you a land which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwelt in them of vineyards and oliveyards and planted not do you eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve, where the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> now this is the whole reason we went here. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Now turn to Judges chapter 2. Not very far, and look at verse 10. Oh, thank you for that. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord their God of the fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. Of the gods of the people, they round about them and bowed themselves to them and provoked the Lord to anger. Now God intended Israel to be a nation unlike any other a nation separated unto God, a beacon of light amidst the darkness of the other nations around them. Now, for a little more emphasis, look at chapter 3, verse 5. It's not much later. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives, gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam. The Israelites did not stand the test, if you will, but even a fidelity to God over time. They served other gods. Now, I put this verse in here. Here's what he would desire. He said, also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord nor their works, which he had done for Israel. And the children of evil did the evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. 
They forsook the Lord their God of their fathers and brought them to the land of Egypt, followed other gods. Of the gods, the people were around about them, bowed themselves unto them, provoked the Lord to anger. Now, this is what the Lord intends for us. He doesn't intend for us to serve other gods or to have serve the flesh. He says that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights, in the world, which is what he wanted for them in the end of Joshua. And speaking of light, he says a very same thing in Matthew. He calls them lights of the world. I'm not going to read the whole verse. The whole idea is that they were to be lights. And we are to be lights in the nations around us. We're to be lights before the lost and the saved alike. I have one more verse. No, I don't. Turn to... uh, You have to keep your finger here because we're going to be back here a lot. But turn to John chapter 3. And we'll look at 19 through 21. And we're just highlighting this call to be lights. Here he says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they're wrought in God. What are we while well, we're beacons of light? Well, certainly, the opposite can be true. If we're not walking in the Spirit, we can be co-conspirators, really, of the darkness. And the book of Judges has two distinct themes. John... All right. How do I get rid of that, John? Locked into it. Okay, the unfaithfulness of man and the faithfulness of God. And we'll see both of those as we look at the book of Judges. So... Turn back, and we'll go to chapter 6. Spent most of our time in chapter 6 tonight. Chapter 6, verse 1, is a a repetition, really, of the verses we've been reading about the unfaithfulness of man and how it's displayed in the book of Judges. 
because he says the very same thing. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. Now, that's a little different. We're not going to take time tonight to go through the cycle of the book of Judges and the nation of Israel. What I want you to see is go a little farther in chapter 6 and look at verse 7. And it says, It came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out from Egypt, brought you forth out of the house of bondage, I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppress you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God is faithful, and so it shows In verse 1, again, the unfaithfulness of man, but here it shows the faithfulness of God. Now, that cycle, you can draw it many ways, but really what it is is the nations serve the Lord. They become desensitized to sin. They turn from the Lord He withdraws his protection as discipline. Their enemies overpower them. The nation repents, cries unto the Lord, and he raises a deliverer, one of the judges, to deliver the people. And that goes over and over and over again in the book of Judges. It's interesting. Keep your finger here in chapter 6. Go to chapter 17 for a second. And look at verse 6. In those days there was no king, but every man did that which was right in their own eyes. What a terrible description for God's chosen people. What a terrible description for us. You know, we're God's elect. We're chosen in Christ when we're saved. How important is the Word of God to us? How important is following or seeking to have that Word Guide our steps. Okay, put a marker or keep your finger in Judges a few verses. Maybe I put them in here. Yep, right here. What a wonderful verse. Tells us You know, there's two things. Keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. whole idea is to keep the word of God fresh in your thinking. But then he goes on to say that we should bind them 
continually in our heart. We should tie them about our neck. And then he gives us how it works in a daily thing. We, we walk, and they're with us. It leads us. When we're sleeping, it keeps us. We can have perfect peace and rest. And when we're awake, it will talk with us. Ends with it's a lamp and a light. But it also says that the reproof of instruction are the way of life. Pretty amazing. The value of the Word of God. In Psalm 119, he says, The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Being saturated with God's Word is the way of life. If Christ is our life, and Christ is our life, well, then the Word of God is paramount. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in, the, in Christ Jesus. Let us have the mind of Christ. And where would we get that? From the Word of God. Now, go back to Judges 6. We're going to take a little bit of a look. It won't be that in-depth. But at Gideon here in chapter 6. You know, following that pattern of the book of Judges, we'll see him call up a judge. Now we saw already in verse 1 that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that he delivered them up to the hand of the Midianites. So let's read verses 2 through 6. And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, and they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. And they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for the multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, following that cycle, as we mentioned, they cried unto the Lord. But what a sad sight as you read. God's chosen people who he said he gave the land to and all the goodness and the plenty of the land. And they find them hiding in caves and living in constant oppression. Year after year being virtually destroyed. But it takes that for them to turn back to the Lord, to call out unto the Lord at the end of verse 6. <coughs> well, let's look at verse 7. What's God's solution? 
It came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all that oppressed you, drave them up from before you and gave you their land. I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So then, in verse 11, here we find their deliverer. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an oak pertaining to Joash, that Abirisite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So we have Gideon hiding grain. Probably, you know, he may have been thinking even about what the prophet had said. But he's discouraged, I would think, seeing the oppression of the people around him. So in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now you have to paint this picture in your mind of someone threshing grain, hiding, waiting to run to the cave, and he's called a mighty man of valor. But you see, with the Lord to empower us, we're all mighty men of valor. That's how God sees Gideon, and that's how God sees us. If we're usable vessels, that's what he sees with Gideon. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's us. That the excellency of the power would be of God and not of us. The Word of God needs to dwell in us. We have to be occupied with the Word of God. And therefore, the Spirit of God can and will enable us to live a life that is well-pleasing to God. Now look at verse 13. I think he's questioning a little bit here. I, I, I think he's probably discouraged. He says, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has all of this befallen us? Where be all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us under the hands of the Midianites. Now, isn't that fairly typical? When we... Now, think about how they were described in verse 1. Children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. When we do something or we go off on our own and on a tangent and we do something or we act in a certain way, it's irrelevant what happens. The point is, though, 
It's never our fault. He didn't say we deserve this punishment. He didn't say we deserve this discipline. He said, why didn't God take care of us? Has God turned his back on Gideon? Did God turn his back on the nation of Israel? Does God turn his back on us? If the Lord is with us, then why has this befallen us? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, why, why, why? Why has this happened? No trust in God or no dependence in God equals no peace. Turn, uh, keep your finger here, but turn to Hebrews. Chapter, let's go to chapter 3, verse 15. I'm never going to finish this. So in 3.15 he says, While it is said today, if we will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest? but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now in 4.1, he gives us this admonition, let us therefore fear, lest the very same thing happens to us. Lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into the rest. As I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. The labor there is just to be, I guess the best word is to be desirous of. You know, it's not a work for us, but it's something that we need to commit in our mind to. We have to have that desire to want that. 
You know, God never forsakes us. He's given us His rest. He tells us to be leaning or leaning forward is a good expression. To be leaning forward into that rest. In Joshua 1.5, he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. God never forsakes us. That's why the book of Judges is a good example of the faithfulness of God. Here in Psalms 42.5, this is David, obviously. And he's saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And he goes on to say, Why are you disquieted? Hope thou in God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted? And verse 11 here, Hope thou in God. Our hope, our trust, is in the Lord. Now, go back to Joshua 6. And look at verse 14. Now, getting a just question, God, God's motives, God's operation. And the Lord looked on him and said, Go in. This thy might, thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Have not I sent thee? Have not I sent thee? Has God not sent us? Now, Gideon here, look at verse 15. Oh, my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor, Manasseh, I am the least of my father's house. And he's, it seems a little bit like Moses, but he's saying, but, 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 are you sure you want me? Now look at verse 16. But the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. It's exactly what he told Moses. Surely I will be with thee. I will go before thee. What else do we need? Gideon's not 100% yet. In 17 he says, If you've found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign. that thou talkest with me. Show me a sign. You know, faith is what? Just believing. 
you know, talks about it being with no substance. We can believe with no substance because that's faith. Gideon's fearful, hesitant. Obviously has not walked with the Lord. And that's true with us. When we're not in fellowship, when we not, have not been walking with the Lord, we are hesitant too in situations. We're not mighty men of valor. You know, our knees are knocking. Gives us quite a promise in Isaiah 40. I wonder if I put it in here. No. Think about the Isaiah 40 verses when he talks about, I'm going to skip to the end, but he says, He has given power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Here, the angel of the Lord says, Have not I sent thee? Gideon was told that he would deliver Israel. He was faint-hearted. <laughs> had lots of reasons in the flesh why he couldn't do it. The same is true with us. There's all kinds of reasons that we can't serve the Lord. There's all kinds of reasons why we can't do what the Lord would have us to do. Does go and talk to those around us or to go encourage other believers or to spend time with the youth. You know, the youth is the future of our church. It's certainly not us. In Acts 1.8, when they received the Holy Spirit, well, not yet, but says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. The shepherd's heart. That's what we see in Matthew 9. He saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, the laborers are few. But then he says, pray ye therefore the Lord that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray that he will send laborers into his harvest. Do we consider the lost each day? Do we consider 
other believers each day? Do we have compassion for the destiny of men? Now, in Judges 6, look at verse 18. Well, we've got to do 17 first. So he's looking for this sign. And he says, Depart not hence, I pray thee, till I come to thee. Bring forth my present, I'll set it before thee, and I will tarry until thou come again. So he goes and he brings forth the, the meal to have this hospitality. And the angel of God in verse 20 said unto him, Take the flesh and, the unca- and lay him on this rock and pour over the broth. And he did so. Now he's going to show him his power. So the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the flesh and unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, For because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, thou shalt not die. So he built an altar, called it Jehovah Shalom. And then, what do we see? We see him step out by faith. So in 25, that it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullocks, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by, and build an altar unto the Lord, thy God upon the top of the rock and in an ordered place. Take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice. And Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said to him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city. Could not do it by day, but he did it at night. And when the men of the city rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. The grove was cut down that was by it, and a second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. An act of faith. He stepped out by faith. And think about God sometimes. As we do, as we do step out, there's opposition. But it's good for us. Resistance is good for us. It's good for Gideon. See what happens in 29. They said one to another, Who hath done this thing? 
And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this. And the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he has cast down the altar of Baal, because he has cut down the grove that was by it. Opposition to an act of faith. How do we handle that? Obviously, it depends on our attitude, but often we shrink from any opposition. Keep your finger here and turn. Well, maybe I have it on the screen. Nope. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4 and look at verses 8 through 10. says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. We are guaranteed to suffer for his sake. That's why we sing the song, it will be worth it all when we're with you. If all we do is play secret agent, well, this life is not worth it all. It has to be a value that will be worth it all. The value is in serving the Lord despite opposition. Now let's see what happens in the story. What does Gideon's father do? And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it's yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Because one has cast down his altar. Therefore, on the day he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. So, in verse 33 then, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together, and they went over and they pitched there in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebenezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also had gathered after him, and he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came to meet him. Now Gideon stood out. He had taken a step by faith, and now sought to serve the Lord. So in verses 36, Gideon says unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said now, he wants some assurance. And he does the fleece trick. 
He wants some assurance. You need to pray and step out by faith. And when we pray for assurance, or we pray that God would give us the strength, you know, God answers this. He does exactly what Gideon says about wet or dry. And we're not going to go into the battle in, in chapter 7. We're done with that about Gideon. But what I'd like to end with is have you appropriated God's provision by faith? Have you developed a relationship with Him? You know, the key to success in the Christian life is continual filling of the Spirit. We're told to walk in the Spirit or to be controlled by the Spirit. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't do it by trying to, but by walking in Christ. The Spirit of God will direct us and provide even direction in our lives if we're yielded. It's all about mental attitude. It's all about our motivation. You know, we have a desire that God would be glorified in our lives. You know, he tells us in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The means of being filled by the Spirit isn't a mystery either. Often, we just need to take account of where we're at. You know, check in with God. See, what are, where are we? What is our mind thinking about? And then change our mind. Or agree with God that even an attitude we might have had or a thing we might have said or done, you know, it's valueless. Now, we use 1 John 1.9, we talk about confession of sin, but the idea really is to walk and talk with God and to have that continual fellowship. And when it's broken, to want it to be restored at all costs. You know, Gideon, the book of Judges, the reason we went through it is to show that the cycle that the nation of Israel had is really no different than the cycle in our lives. We are blessed by God. We serve the Lord. We become desensitized to sin. We turn from the Lord. Now, he doesn't have to withdraw protection like he did in the nation of Israel and their physical enemies. But what happens is 
since we're children of His, there has to be some discipline in our lives. There has to be some seeking to bring us back to Him. And so then we, now a nation of Israel that was described as repenting and crying out to Him. Now repenting is just change your mind. We need to change our minds and He restores fellowship. It's a perfect cycle. It's a perfect example of the Christian life. You know, we don't, unfortunately it's our history, our story that's known and told abroad is that we're inconsistent. We often choose by operating with our volition our old sin nature, and the world of flesh and the devil. Inconsistency and contradiction. It's not what God desires of us. You know, we don't necessarily choose to sin. It's not a conscious choice, but what happens is we're careless. We become careless with our relationship with our God. We don't spend time in His Word. You know, a moment in the morning or reading a daily bread while we're in the bathroom or whatever it is, it's not enough. We need to take time. Several times. I mean, you know, he talks about continual burnt offering. We can't allow the attractions of the flesh and the cares of this life to distract our focus. The struggle in our life is real, just like the struggle in their life was real. But so too is the victory. It says, in Galatians 2.20, that he's, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Just like Israel, we can do nothing about past failures. Truthfully, we can draw nothing from past victories. Each moment with the Lord is new and fresh. And we have to have our mindset on Jesus Christ. Our life should be extremely 